Well, today is Transfiguration Sunday, but we're going to continue in our series of the words of the cross from the cross of Jesus. And so the scripture uh, this morning, instead of being about the Transfiguration, is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung uh, there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we're looking at these words from, that Jesus spoke from the cross. And actually there were three crosses. There wasn't just one. And at Easter sometimes we see pictures and they have all three crosses in the picture. Why three crosses? Why not one? Why is it one sufficient? You know, I used to live in uh, Grand Island, Florida, um, and out on State Road 452, I used to drive uh, every day leaving home and coming back home. There were three huge wooden crosses out in a field. And they had been there for as long as I can remember. And every time you drove up and down the road, you passed them, and you could look over and see them in the field. Three crosses. Why did he put up three crosses and not just one? Wouldn't one tell the story? I think Barbara Taylor Brown was on to something when she wrote, one cross makes a crucifix. Three crosses make a church. All the Gospels tell us that Jesus did not die alone, but he died with two other men who were criminals, one on each side. Matthew and Mark call them robbers. Luke just calls them criminals. Uh, we don't really know what they did whatever it was, it was either bad enough or they did it often enough or they were just poor enough that they got nailed to a cross. So there are three men, not one. There are three men suffering in agony on crosses with Jesus in the middle. There's an apocryphal gospel uh, or apocryphal book called the Gospel of Nicodemus. Uh, I never made it into the Bible. But in that book, the two thieves are given names. Uh, and the one thief who yelled out the, the curses of Jesus um, is given the name Justice. Uh, he's the one that, uh, that said, aren't you the Messiah? Well, if you're the Messiah, then save yourself and us. <laughs> you know, us too. And Dismas is the name of the other criminal, the one who defended Jesus. The one who said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, the Catholic Church has made Dismas a saint. 
He is the patron saint of prisoners. And uh, I heard this great story a few years ago. In, uh, in Dannemora, New York, there is a state prison, the Clinton Correctional Facility. It's a maximum security prison. And in 1937, the chaplain of that prison was a Catholic priest. And he held worship services uh, in the basement underneath the cafeteria. And it was damp and dark and dingy. And he, he thought, wouldn't it be great if these prisoners had a real church to worship in? And so he went out and he actually raised the money to build a church building inside the prison walls. Now, this was the first church and one of the very few that exists inside prison walls. So he raised the money from outside, uh, but outside labor was not permitted. And so the church was actually built by the prisoners. And it was an amazing experience because whenever it was time to, to, to put down the foundation, then some prisoners stepped forward and said, oh, I used to do this. I know how to do this. When it was time for the walls to go up, Somebody else stepped forward and said, oh, I know how to do this. I, I used to do this. When it came time for the, the stained glass windows, a guy stepped forward who had been put in prison for forgery. Turns out he was an incredible artist. And he made the stained glass windows. And the faces of the biblical characters on the stained glass windows are the faces of the prisoners that he was in with. It's a beautiful building. And... Uh, everything that was done was done by the prisoners. And the, the patron saint of the church, of course, is Dismas. And the church has the best name. It's just the greatest name. It's called the Church of the Good Thief. <laughs> and when I, heard, when, I, when I read about that and saw it, I thought, how incredible this story is. And I, I don't know if you were aware of this, but the North Central District of the Florida Conference, United Methodist Conference. Uh, I used to be in that district. And um, while I was still there, uh, they started a church inside of Loyal, uh, the Loyal Women's Facility that's up in that part of the state. Uh, now, it's not a building. We weren't allowed to build a building in there. But our conference actually appointed a pastor to be the pastor of that prison. And um, she is still there and is serving as pastor of that prison appointed by our conference. And I thought that's a pretty incredible thing and a pretty unique opportunity. There were three crosses, and Jesus was in the middle. And the people watching, the rulers, uh, even the soldiers were shouting insults at Jesus. And so one of the, the other criminals decided he would get in on it too, and he started shouting insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Then save yourself. And us. You can hear his anger. And we don't really know anything about either of the two men on, on each side of Jesus. But judging by his behavior, maybe there's some assumptions we can make. He seems to be bitter. I don't know, maybe he was a thief. Maybe he got caught stealing several times. Maybe he was an insurrectionist that he rebelled against anyone and everyone in authority. Maybe he was a rebel looking for a cause. Maybe he was angry that his life wasn't turning out like he wanted and he blamed everyone else for his problems. 
Somebody owed him. And so he said, if you are who you say you are, then get us out of this. Take care of us. And when I read, when I read that, those words sound so familiar, don't they? If you're really God, why don't you fix my situation? If you're really God, why don't you get me out of this mess that I'm in? If you're really God, why don't you fix my marriage? If you're really God, why don't you help me get married? <laughs> if you're really God, why do people I love get sick? And we've all felt like this thief on the cross sometimes. We lash out at God in anger if God doesn't do what we want. And notice the only answer he receives is silence. Jesus never responds to what he says. And when we rage and lash out in anger, it seems like that's the response we get as well. It's silence. And then on the other side of Jesus hung another man. We don't know anything about him either. But he seems to be different than the first man. The first words we hear him speak are to the thief on the other side of Jesus. And he said to him, don't you fear God since you're under the same sentence? We are being punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. He doesn't blame anybody for his predicament. He seems to have come to terms with the fact that he's there because of his own choices. And he's willing to accept, uh, come to terms with his own life and his own death. He accepts responsibility for it. I read a story years ago about a king who was visiting um, a prison that was in, uh, you know, in, in his kingdom. And each prisoner, he sat down and asked them why they were there. And everyone said, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. You, you should let me go. I, I'm, I'm completely innocent. I'm not supposed to be here. Every prisoner he talked to told him that. And then finally, near the end, he, he met a, a man and he asked him, why are you here? And he said, well, I stole from my neighbor. My family was hungry. We needed food. I stole some of his things and I sold them. And I got caught. And that's why I'm here. And the king called the guards and he says, quick, get this thief out of here before he corrupts all these innocent people. <laughs> now, the, the, the point of the story is that we have to take responsibility for our own choices. That's the way it is. But I want to clarify that a little because um, there really are innocent people in prison. Uh, when DNA testing first came out, hundreds of people were released from prison because the DNA proved they were innocent. Unfortunately, DNA has shown some who have been executed were innocent. And so while it's important to take responsibility and, and, and all that's the point of the story, it's also important to understand that our justice system isn't perfect. And, uh, and there's still a lot of progress that needs to be made in a lot of different areas. But after correcting the other criminal for insulting Jesus, then he addressed Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now this is really fascinating to me. But do you know that in all the Gospels, 
He is the only person that ever calls Jesus by name. Throughout the Gospels, everyone calls him teacher, rabbi, son of David, Lord. Only this humble thief in complete honesty calls him Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't respond to the other criminal, but he did respond to this one. And his response was, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I love the way that Luke tells this story. Because Luke loves to contrast the way two different people handle the same situation. Luke tells us about Mary and Martha. Luke tells us about the rich man and Lazarus. Luke tells us about the Pharisee and the sinner. Luke uh, is the one who tells us about the son who had, or the father who had two sons. And now Luke's going to tell us the story of two criminals. And it reminds me of another story in the Hebrew Bible. There was a man named Joseph who was unjustly thrown into prison. And while he was there, he became friends with the king's baker and the king's cupbearer who had been put into prison. Uh, the cupbearer was released and brought back into the king's service. The baker was hanged. And when the cupbearer left prison, Joseph said almost the exact same words. He said, remember me and show me kindness. And it took a while, but the cupbearer did remember Joseph. And he brought Joseph into the presence of the king. And both that story and this story is about people who make friends in low places, who end up having friends in high places, and it changes the whole thing. And you, it's about getting the last chance that you never thought you were going to get. And so this dying man asked to be remembered. And he got so much more than that. <laughs> he got paradise as well. And several more hours passed before he received this promise. And apparently not another word was spoken between them. Three men. Suffering together in agony. Three crosses, side by side. And I think sometimes we do need all three crosses. Or we at least need to remember that there were three of them. We need to be reminded not only of the innocent one who is dying on our behalf, but we need to also remember the conversation going on around the cross. One part of the conversation is bitter, and one part of the conversation is hopeful. And that conversation is still going on. I meet people today who are bitter. They're angry at God. They blame God for their problems. They believe that if God really loved them, they wouldn't suffer. And if God were real, God would solve all their problems and make their life turn out exactly like they wanted and that's the poison of the prosperity gospel that we hear too much of. God doesn't give them what they want, and so they don't believe in God, or at least not this God who doesn't have any better sense than to get himself crucified. But then I also meet people who are hopeful, people who take responsibility for their lives. They admit their faults. They admit their mistakes. They don't believe God exists just to grant their wishes. Instead, it's with humility. They ask for grace on God's terms, not theirs. 
And they almost always are surprised with far more than they hoped for. It's a, the conversation that goes on in the culture around us about God and church, it's a conversation that sometimes is bitter toward God and sometimes is hopeful. It's the conversation going on within our own denomination. I hear those who are bitter, and I hear those who are hopeful. And if we're honest, we have to admit this is the conversation that goes on in churches everywhere. So we try to figure out how to respond to this one who died on the cross for us. Do we become bitter and angry with God when things don't work out the way we want? Or do we come to God in humility, just asking for grace? How we approach the one in the middle cross determines everything. And you know, the truth is the conversation goes on inside each one of us. We can be bitter at God for not doing everything the way we wanted and not giving us everything we think we deserve. Or we can see every single day as a gift. It's grace given to us by a God who loves us. We need three crosses because they remind us of this conversation between becoming bitter and becoming hopeful that goes on in our culture and in our denomination and in our church and even within us. Barbara Brown Taylor is right. One cross is a crucifix, but three crosses are a church.